love you. We give you praise for what you're going to do ahead of time. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, this Sunday, marks eight years together as a church. Yeah, you can be excited about that. Eight years. And so we started this sermon series. It's a quick one. Just two weeks. Last week and today called New Beginnings. Because in the Hebrew scriptures, the number eight is symbolic of new beginnings. you got seven days in a week. Seven is the perfect number, the completed number. But eight means it's a new beginning. A new beginning is where the past is left behind and the future is unknown. And you're in this space where everything about things has changed. And you get a new opportunity to step into the life Jesus died and rose for you to live. But it's a season. A lot of you, this is that season. It's like, I feel school starting. Maybe you started a new job. Maybe you're headed to a new city. And that new beginning is like equally as exciting as it is nerve-wracking because you're so curious to see all the ways God's going to move and provide, but you're nervous because it's unknown at this point. This is a new beginning moment for us collectively as a church because the finishing of year eight and going into year nine holds some circumstances that we have never headed into. We have never opened a building like the one we're about to open a few months from now. We've never had other locations growing at the rate that they are growing right now. And my concern, our leadership's concern, is that we don't lose our way and we don't lose our why. So all we're doing in these two Sundays is refocusing on what kind of a church has God called us to be and what is the unique, specific thing that God has called Auburn Community Church to stand up for. And last week was such a big piece of that from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Ministry of Reconciliation. If you missed that one, please check it out. The good news Next Sunday marks the beginning of a sermon series that will go all the way to New Year's. So we're not going to do this short sermon series thing. Next Sunday to New Year's, we're in the Gospel of Luke. And it's going to be amazing. I love it. I love the fanfare that Luke is getting. I thought he was kind of the forgotten one because it's like, Mark, we love you. You go short. Matthew, you're awesome because you got the Great Commission. And John, it's like, I don't know why, but when people start reading their Bible, it's like, no, stay away from Genesis. You need to go to John as fast as you can. And it's like, we, we just love John. But I feel like Luke kind of gets lost in there. So we're going to study Luke and just, I mean, I mean, preview of the whole year. We're going to do Luke all semester long this year. And then in January, we're going to move into Hamilton Road. And then we're going to do Luke part two, which is called the book of Acts. And that, oh yeah, there's a Pentecostal. That someone is Pentecostal and that just outed you. That's awesome. You're like, finally. Can we spend the entire year on Acts 1 and 2? No. Um, but this is, a, this is a cool moment for us as we look to the word of God and just remember our why and remember what God has called us to. Did you bring your Bible this early in the morning? If you have your Bible, hold it up. Hold it up. Now we owe it to our young people to do a Bible drill because the summer can bring shifting of things. So keep your Bible up if you are single. If you are single, keep it up. Look around, say new beginnings, new beginnings, new beginnings. Turn, turn with me to Joshua chapter one. I don't know what that was like at the other locations, but it was like a slow dropping of the Bibles. It was weird. It'll get less weird throughout the day. Joshua chapter 1. Joshua is the sixth book in the Bible. I thought it would be so cool if it was the eighth one, um, but, but with all the number eight stuff. The eighth one is Ruth, which we'll get to Ruth in February of 2024. And it's going to be, you're, yeah, yeah, you're like, you got it that far, playing head? Absolutely not. Just made that up in the moment. But... <laughs> We're going to study Joshua. Joshua is the first post-Torah book of 
the Old Testament. So you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy all together. That makes up what's called the book of the law. And Joshua begins the story of the people of God headed into the promised land after the death of Moses. This is a massive moment in Israel's history. At the end of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses dies in the most epic way. If you don't know the story, Moses was punished for sin that he did not deal with. And his punishment was he could see the promised land, but he wasn't going to lead the people of God into the promised land. So he's kind of up on a mountain. He looks over the land He breathes his last breath, and then the end of Moses' life is this epic conclusion that no one knows what the next chapter of the story is going to have in it. And so Joshua is the ultimate new beginning because it's like the close of Israel's most amazing chapter so far and the beginning of something completely unknown. And that is why eight years ago, on August 17, 2014, in our first ever Sunday night gathering as a church where it was like we're gathering every week now, I opened the word of God, and we started a sermon series called Church Without Walls, reading through the book of Joshua. I thought it was cool, the whole walls falling down, Jericho, church without walls, church no building. And so that month, that couple of months, we prayed circles around Jordan-Hare Stadium. We read a book back then called The Circle Maker. And so we were praying circles around everywhere in Auburn, just believing God for amazing things. And so I took time this week to go back and listen to that original sermon eight years ago on this passage. And have you ever heard of like secondhand embarrassment? <laughs> like when you're watching some, something happen to someone else, that's how I felt about my past self. Like I was like, oh man, because I'm 25 at the time, my voice sounds different. And a lot of the things I say I, it is cringeworthy. It is one of those things where there's a couple of cute moments where I'm like, oh, you're so excited and it's going to be so much harder than you think it is. But, but I listened to it and, and, and as embarrassing as it was, I knew I needed to power through it and just take in that moment that we had together eight years ago. And I thought it would be cool in a season of new beginnings to just bridge the gap from a season where very few of you were there in the room at Trinity Lutheran Church, which there's a picture from that night on our screens on the way out if you want to see it today. Very few of you were there in that kind of awkward moment as I'm, as I'm preaching the beginning of Joshua. I thought it would be cool if instead of me reading it right now, we listen to the reading of it from that night eight years ago. So Joshua, is that cool? Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. If you're there, say I'm there. there. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. Joshua writes these words. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you 
wherever you go. The title of this sermon is called Be Strong and Courageous. Be Strong and Courageous. That's a little surreal and I feel like that's like a child reading the word of God, but it's so cool to think back to that moment and then to stand in this moment. And we're going to talk about the command that is given to Joshua, be strong and courageous. In Hebrew, it sounds a lot cooler. It said, Hazak Vahamatz, Hazak Vahamatz, and it's like a, a chant. Can you look at somebody next to you and say, Hazak, Hazak, just say it, it's fun. Look at the person you just ignored and say, Vahamatz, Vahamatz, Hazak Vahamatz, be strong and courageous. It cannot be overstated how much uncertainty is hitting the people of God in this passage that we just heard. Joshua taking over leadership from Moses is the ultimate handoff from a leader to his protege, but Joshua is under no illusions that he's going to be able to fill the shoes of Moses. God just did more miracles during Moses' lifetime than we have recorded in the entire scripture so far, unless you count creation as a collection of miracles, which it is. But Moses has done some amazing things. We've seen the people of God cross a sea on dry ground, only to have that sea crash down on the army that's chasing them. We've had 40 years wandering in the wilderness where God is doing miracles like making water come from rocks and Moses literally calling on God and quail showing up on a beach. I mean, it's crazy how many miracles happen through Moses. So when he dies, the people of God, after 40 years of wandering, are looking around going, what are we going to do? And in New Beginnings, you're always hitting that, that sense of uncertainty where you have a choice. And it's the choice between compromising and courage. When you hit a season of uncertainty, you have a choice between settling into comfort and compromising what God has called you to do or stepping up into courage and seeing God do something brand new. And I've felt this in my life personally, but if you're in a season of uncertainty, just know that choice is there in a real way. It's so easy to compromise when things get, dif get difficult and go to the things that numb us and hold our attention or at least distract us enough from feeling the weight of what we're actually going through. But I want to challenge you and I want to challenge us as a church. A new beginning is the ultimate opportunity to see God come through in your life in a powerful way. And the command is not shrink back and reach for all your comfort sins that will make you feel better for a little while. The command is in the most unlikely time, be strong and courageous. Huzzah. Vahamats, let's watch God do something different. Now, we need to clarify what promises from Joshua chapter 1 actually apply to our lives as New Testament believers. There is such a tendency in Christianity today to grab whatever your favorite verse is and apply it to your life as if the scriptures are written to you. This is a scripture about the people of God heading into conquest in the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. Most of us, almost all of us, minus a few, because I know we do have some Jewish people in here, we're Gentile New Testament Christians. So when you read Joshua 1, you're not Joshua, even if your name is Joshua, you're not this Joshua, there's a couple of you in here, you're not Hebrew, and you're not alive at this time where this specific call is on your life. And so what we love to do is go, be strong and courageous. This is my verse about winning the game on Friday night. This is my verse about bench pressing enough. No, that's Philippians 4. No, this is my verse about another one taken out of context. This is my verse for the battle that God has put in front of me. Be strong and courageous. And I would say that's dangerous. But what is biblical is to see yourself as a New Testament believer in Jesus, understanding 
that all the promises of God find their yes and amen in Jesus. God's promise to his people, Israel, in this context is, never will I leave you, nor will I forsake you. That's a promise that Jesus said to his disciples almost word for word. I will never leave you. In fact, that's literally what he said in Matthew chapter 28 in the Great Commission. So can you just grab this and copy and paste it to your life? No. But can you take the command, be strong and courageous, I will be with you, never will I leave you nor forsake you? Yes, you can take that promise to the bank and you can do so more than the people of God could in Joshua's time because you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you and you're connected to Jesus whose name is what? Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. And did you know the name Jesus is the Greek name Joshua, Yehoshua? So Jesus' name at the time is actually a pretty common name. Literally means the Lord saves or salvation. Joshua, Jesus. And so I read Joshua 1 and I go, no, we can't, we can't copy and paste this to all of our circumstances, but we can take some promises into the most uncertain seasons of life and be strong and courageous and let God fill us today. Let's study the text and let's make sure we do it correctly. Joshua 1, verse 1, what did he say? He said, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun. I love that. If you have a friend named Josh, tell him he doesn't have a dad. Joshua, son of Nun. I had a friend named Josh growing up and I was like, ha, ah, Josh, you don't have a dad. Biblical joke. Anyway, that didn't go over well in this gathering. I won't do it at the next one, Gage. Um, <laughs> we'll put the 945 on YouTube. Moses, what my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. I want you to notice the language of give. The land I am about to give them, I will give you every place where you set your foot. God's definition of give is very different than ours. When God says he's about to give the land of Canaan to the Israelites, he doesn't mean wrapped as a free present, here you go, it's yours. He means it's yours by faith to the degree that you're willing to take me at my word and be strong and courageous. Because there are people occupying the land that God is giving to Israel. 40 years before this moment, actually it was 38 if you want to be more technical, there was an opportunity for Moses to lead the people of God into the promised land. And what happened? They spied out the land. Twelve people went in. Two came back and said, we should take it. God is with us. But ten came back, the older ten, by the way, and said, no, there are huge men in that land. They will kill us. That land is not ours, even if the Lord said it's ours. Clearly, he hasn't seen who, who is in the land. Now, guess who those two spies were who wanted to go into the land? Joshua and his friend Caleb. And now... A generation has passed away. God said, they will never enter my rest because they didn't have the faith to take it. Apparently, God's revelation of giving requires our participation in taking. When God says, I'll give you this land, it's theirs by name and by promise, but it's not going to be theirs if they don't take God at his word and step into the life that's rightfully theirs. In the same way, our lives gifted to us by the Holy Spirit and the call of God that's on each one of us uniquely and individually, I believe it is there given by the Holy Spirit, but if we don't take it by faith, it will always seem elusive. And in this moment, God's going, it's yours, it's yours, but it happens on the backside of your participation. I'll do my part in doing what only I can do, and trust me, God's going to do that throughout this story, but you got to do your part. Now, does that mean we partner with God in salvation? Absolutely not. 
it means we learn that the true definition of be strong and courageous is that we're not strong or courageous. And the more we lean into him to fight our battles, that's the only pathway to victory. That's what we're going to see today. Look at verse 4. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. This is literally Israel to this day. If you look at the actual land that God is carving out, is where Israel is to this day. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. God says, you're going in. But as you go in, I'm not going to tell you the plan. I will give you a promise. When God calls you in uncertainty to be strong and courageous, he does not tell you the details of the plan you are stepping into. But he does give you the promises to have faith and take a step. So God could have gone, Joshua, here's the thing. I know you're freaking out about the Jordan River because the Jordan River is right in front of you and in between where, I, where you are and where I'm calling you to go. And how are you going to get millions of people across a river with supplies, with children? That is going to be impossible. God could have gone, hey, listen, I'm going to just dry up the river just like I did a little while ago. You know, I can do that. And then you're going to walk across on dry ground. And then Joshua's like, well, what about Jericho, that place with high walls? How are we going to get there? God's like, cool story. You're actually going to walk circles around it every day. On the seventh day, you're going to walk seven circles around it. And then you're all just going to shout and blow horns and bang drums. And all of a sudden, boom, the walls are going to come down. You're going to go in. It's beautiful. But then well, what about that? And what about the others? Yeah, there's actually a story where I'm going to keep the sun in the sky longer so that you can defeat the Amorites. It's beautiful. No, God God could go into the detail, and he could do that for you, and he could do that for me. But God gives enough clarity to take the next step, but not enough certainty to eliminate faith. He goes, listen, I'm going to be with you. That's the promise of the presence of God that will carry you in every season where you need to go if you let that promise sink in deep enough. As I was with Moses, and you saw I was with him, you saw how I would commune with him as a man communes with a friend. And now... I'm inviting you into that level of intimacy, Joshua. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. The promise is not, here's the plan, do what I say. The promise is, I'll be with you. Watch me work. Verse 7. Be strong and very courageous. Hazak Bahamas, third time. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. This is when the passage gets weird. Because God is going, hey, in this moment, I know you're freaking out. But I'm going to be with you just like I was with Moses. We're taking the land. Be strong and courageous. Now, God gives the how of the command. So the command is fourfold. Be strong. Be courageous. Don't be discouraged. Don't be afraid. Some of you might have dismayed in that translation. I like that as well. Like literally, strength and courage, not fear and discouragement. That, that's the command. Well, when God gives a command, he usually gives clear instructions with that for how you're supposed to live that out. So when God goes, here's how you're strong and don't be afraid, he does not give a military strategy. He does not give clear instructions for how strength is built up. His version of strength and courage is this. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left. Do you 
See how weird that is? That God would call Joshua to be strong and courageous, but the how of how he's supposed to step into it is memorizing and applying the truth of God's word to his life. That is because, and you might want to write this down, there's a direct connection between how focused we are on the word and how filled we are with courage. There's a direct connection between how focused our minds are on the word of God and how filled we are with courage. The reason why this is the plan, this is so beautiful if you catch this, the reason why this is the plan is because God's version of be strong and courageous for Joshua has nothing, if any, to do with Joshua's strength. And so when he gives the how, he says, you look at this, you think about this, you apply this, and then you're strong, and then you're courageous. What is that telling Joshua in an underhanded way? He's telling him, I'm not expecting you to be the agent of being enough or strong or the one who's capable. I'm admitting to you that you're not strong, that you are afraid, and that you're not capable. And so if you'll tie your mind to what's true in my word, then what I can do that you can't do without my presence will come through you. But it is not dependent on you being strong enough. It is dependent on you recognizing that you're not strong, that you don't have what it takes, so you need to be connected to me. See, when I hear be strong, I, I sort of get afraid because I hear the voice of my seventh grade basketball coach, Coach Freddie. He was a loud man. And I'd go up, not even 100 pounds in seventh grade playing against guys who some of them are over six feet tall, and I, I'm like literally the child and sticks. I go up, get knocked to the ground, lose the ball. I hear Coach Freddie, Miles, Miles, be strong. And Freddie's like large man. And I'm looking at him going, how? <laughs> like, uh, what does that mean? That means uh, have more of a commitment to holding on to the ball. I'm like, okay, well, I don't think that's going to work when I'm among people who could so easily push me around. The, the point of his instruction, while well-intended, was to motivate me to conjure up enough strength to survive. God's motivation for telling you be strong and courageous, and here's how, tie the focus of your mind and the lifestyle of your feet to the word of God. His motivation for telling you that is knowing that you're not strong, and if it's up to you to muster up enough strength, you will falter hard. This is the heart of the gospel. It's you and I admitting that we can't, and if it's up to us, we won't. If you want to know today, what is it that they believe at Auburn Community Church and why are they singing so passionately, all hail King Jesus? Because this entire thing is built on I'm weak, he's strong, I can't, he did, I'm dead, he's alive, I'm sinful, he's righteous, he is everything I'm not. And so here's the thing, here's what I discovered this week. You are just as dependent on God on your most obedient day as you are on your most disobedient day. You are just as dependent on God on your strongest day as you are on your weakest day. It's all the same in God's eyes. And his call, be strong and courageous, is tethered to this command. You will be strong and courageous when you learn to look at what I say more than what you see. And if I say it's done, it's done. If I say Jesus is enough, it is. Your job is to make sure you're embracing and meditating and obeying what has been given to you. I've seen a limited amount of uncertainty compared to some of the adults in this room who are older than me. I've seen a little bit. But if there's one lesson I have learned about going through things where you don't understand what is next, where you can't see around the corner, where you want answers from God, it is this. Look at what God says more than what you see. 
Look at what God says more than what you see. I was a freshman in college at Kennesaw State University. Most of my friends moved away and went to a God-forsaken school called the University of Georgia. And, um, and I, like, like I, I was one of those people who loved high school. But then your freshman year hits and everybody's gone and your identity's gone and the sports are gone and the youth ministry gone. And it's like, like I went from like leading an entire like movement of students to having a small group of 10 guys and Gage was one of them. Um, and he's still following Jesus to this day. So I guess something good happened from all of that. But I was like, I was freaking out my freshman year of college. And I can remember learning how to walk from class to class holding a new American standard Bible with all the underlining in the world going, I can't afford to spend this season looking around at everything I see because if I look at that, I will be so discouraged. I will be so depressed. I will be so lonely. But if I learn how to hold on, Jeremiah 29, 7, to the promises I'm reading about seeking the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I've been carried to exile. Apparently that city was Kennesaw at the time. And I learned how to let the promises of God become what I hold more than what's right in front of me. And all of a sudden the pathway becomes clear as you hold on to the promises. I'm telling you, I think back eight years in our church to every season of uncertainty, to every moment where we had no idea where we were going to meet or how in the world we were going to make it, to every moment of tension and every relational strife, everything we've been through for eight years, I'm telling you this works. Look at what God says more than what you see and allow the word of God to be what it is. What is it? A lamp for your feet and a light for your path. This is not headlights. This is not going to show you where you are five months, six months from now. But it will show you enough to take the next step with boldness and with a level of confidence that says, I know the one who is writing the story. And let me just say this. If you live like this, you will look crazy to people around you. There will be times where your strength and courage filled by God looks like foolishness to the world. And maybe even people around you who say they love and honor Jesus. But don't you want a life that stands to prove the reality of God? Like, don't you want to live a story of faith that when people would hear about it or read about it, they would go, it's clear that God's strength is on that because if that were just you, there's no way it would look like that. Eight years in as a church, I want to call us individually in this moment. There are things that God has been prodding your heart to do and to step into that a lot of us have been ignoring for the sake of choosing the comfortable, safe route. And I just want to challenge us in this moment. Let's take God at his word. If he's going to be with us wherever we go, if Jesus is our strength and our only job is submission to the word and keeping our minds and hearts focused on obeying what is written in this book, I'm not saying some kind of prosperity, there's a promised land for all of us. No, the promised land is called the rest of God. That's why elsewhere in the scriptures, Hebrews 4, God says they will never enter my rest. The promised land is not necessarily a a literal geographic place of land, it is symbolic of the rest that comes from knowing that God is God and you are not. And you can take a breath. Man, how much does that take the pressure off of you to step with boldness? See, we think of it as boldness, strength, like pressure. No, no, no. What Jesus is doing is he's pulling your shoulders back and going, let me carry the heavy weight. You let me be God, but you live a life in such a way that points to the fact that I am who I say I am. How? How? This is when I love how literal the scriptures are in giving directions. Read the passage. Read verse 8. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. 
As you're studying the Bible, there are times where you will wonder, Miles, how do you come up with these points? How do you discover the practical, what you're supposed to do with what you're reading? Literally, I know it's early. Just think about what you're reading and take the time to go, hold up. Keep it always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything. That's three points right there. And you can write them down. These are the simplest points I've ever given in eight years together. Proclaim the word, meditate on the word, obey the word. He literally just said, talk about it, think about it, do it. Talk about it, think about it, do it. Let's take it one at a time. Number one, proclaim the word. This is not something that is reserved for pastors or people who sing and speak from stages. This is the call of every believer because the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. That means that where the word of God is spoken, there's life to it. Any, any like baseball players or baseball fans in the room, they, they talk about like pitchers with life on their pitches. It means that there's movement to the ball as it's going around. It's confusing for a hitter to see. There's movement to the word just going out as you speak it. So if we learn to be people who talk about it, but who write it, who literally have, have it around our homes. We're talking about ways in our house with three little girls. We need to work on this as fast as possible. But, but like, how do we have scripture surround us? In our car, in our living room, at the coffee house, when we go out to lunch, when we're at work, when we're on vacation, when we're wherever, how do we let the word of God become what is being proclaimed in our lives? And I'm telling you, the word will have ways of coming alive in and through your life when you step into proclamation. God says, Joshua, keep it on your lips. When you wonder, why were the Pharisees in Jesus' day walking around with these, these verses written sometimes on their foreheads and in their garments? It's because they took the word of God so seriously to a fault that they missed the heart of God, and we need to be careful of that. But they wanted it around them. They wanted to develop a tastefulness to what was being proclaimed. And so I want to challenge you. If you want to be strong and courageous, what does it look like? It doesn't look like starting a church or taking a bold step to move to a country with unreached peoples. That's awesome if that's what you're called to do. But we got to stop thinking in terms of the grand big thing and start thinking in terms of it looks like speaking the word of God, thinking about the word of God, and doing the word of God. That's all it means to be strong and courageous. And God will tell your story different than mine, different than his, different than hers, but he'll do it his way. Number one, proclaim the word. Number two, meditate on the word. Meditate on the word. Whenever you bring up the word meditation in church, people get weird because they think it's like an Eastern Buddhist practice of emptying your mind where it's, it's like, I don't want to go the meditation route. I just want to go the biblical route. How many of you know that the Eastern religions ripped off Christianity? and ripped off what God told the people of God to do in the Old Testament. Meditate on the word of God day and night. But our meditation is different than the world's meditation. This is not hot yoga, okay? This is, which is uh, fine. Like, if that's what you need to do to stretch it out, I, I probably could stand to do some more stretches and some more sweating myself. But the idea is not empty your mind of all the difficulties and take a deep breath. Here it is. You can write this down. We don't empty our minds of our problems. We fill our minds with God's promises. Our meditation is not about emptying the mind. It's about filling it. And when you fill it so much so with the word of God, guess what you no longer have room for? The anxieties of this world. The things that are competing for your attention and your affection. The word of God must be spoken. It must be written. It must surround us. But it's also got to be in us. And when our focus is so tethered to our devices and tethered to everything else we have going on, we miss out on the power source of our strength and courage, which is the word of God. 
When you're meditating on the word of God, you are not regurgitating information in your brain. You're connecting yourself to Jesus. See, Jesus in John chapter 1 is called the divine logos. It means word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Everything was made through the word. Why is Jesus called the word? Because the more you meditate on the word, you're not becoming a student of a religion. You're becoming a participant in a relationship. And now the Jesus of the scriptures is someone who's walking and talking and living on the inside of you because it's alive and active by the word of God. So you got to proclaim it, you got to think about it, and you got to go over it again and again. It's the reason why Paul said the key to a transformed life is a renewed mind. Why would my transformation rest on whether or not my mind is renewed on God? Because the scriptures are telling you the same thing again and again. Your strength is not in your performance or your ability to pull yourself up and live a more obedient life. Your strength is when you admit that if it's up to you, you can't do it, and you renew your mind to the truth that Jesus already did, and he's walking with you today. You are forgiven. You are free. And the more you meditate on that, the more you do what? Walk in it. The more I remember that I'm forgiven, the more I walk in freedom. It's actually when I start competing to prove my value to God that I live my most disobedient life. The more I embrace grace, the more I become a conduit of it. And the more you meditate on what's true in the scriptures, the more they become true in your life. Proclaim the word, meditate on the word, and lastly, obey the word. Here's the one we love to skip. Do it. The last one. James says, don't just hear the word. Be doers of the word. Don't don't deceive yourself into thinking that hearing the word is enough. See, we've fallen for this lie in our culture that resonance equals obedience. So most of this sermon, because a lot of what I said resonated with the situation you're in, you'll think that just by hearing it, it will lead to obedience in your life. But if all you have is resonance, it will end up producing empty results in your life because in a moment you'll go, oh, that resonated with me. But over time, it will become lost in a distracted, all over the place lifestyle. What does it take? It takes a level of, no, no, no. The word works when you make the word work. God loves active faith. Our faith is not stuck in a moment where we believe in Jesus. God loves it when we take steps of really believing and not just saying that we believe it, but walking it out because obedience is not our gift to God. Obedience is God's gift to us. What does that mean, Miles? That means you will actually find the fullness of life in stepping according to what God told you to do. We can't think of obedience as, this is when God tells me, no, not all those things you want, these things that I want. This is God going, hey, your desires are disordered by the sin that lives in you. But if you learn to do this my way and you learn to walk this way, you'll actually have the fullness of life that you were created for. None of what I'm calling you to today is a lifestyle that is empty and hollow and based on white knuckle obedience. It is based on a joyful overflow of a heart that knows Jesus is better than any other option I have in this world. Jesus wins, not just the headline of humanity, but the headline of my story. Now, everybody look up here. I've had um, an angst to me this entire morning, this entire sermon, and probably all day long because I knew all that I was supposed to share with you. That ended right there, like five seconds ago when I said, y'all look up here. That was the whole sermon. And I knew all that, and I think it's great. I think when you're called to uncertainty, knowing, be strong and courageous, how do I do it? 
talk about the word, think about the word, obey the word. Like I, I was like, that's teed up. That's good. I can do that four times and feel great and go sleep good on a Sunday night and get ready for another week. We'll talk about Luke next week. It's going to be awesome. I was like, great. Thank you, Lord. And I felt like the Holy Spirit of God was going, hold on, hold on, hold on. That's all good. But like when you preached this eight years ago, you said some things that were a little more bold and a little more courageous than any of this stuff that's kind of easy to put in front of your people. See, eight years ago, as I preached this passage, I made some claims that if you were in the room or you could see a picture of it, you would be tempted to laugh. And you would go, oh, there's gonna be revival in Auburn because of this group in this Lutheran church and this team? <laughs> and I thought about that moment and yes, it's embarrassing and yes, it's youth and a lot of misguided ambition, but the Holy Spirit was on it. And I just felt like God was going challenge your people to do what's written in the passage and then finish by saying something just as bold, if not more than what you said eight years ago. So we've seen a lot in eight years and this is so humbling to be a part of. I hope you do take a second to look at the screens on your way out, not too long because we've got another service coming in, but remember you can turn left. Um, <laughs> eight years in, it's easy to preach this passage and be proud of what God has done. But it's harder to look toward the future and go, wait a minute, what if, what if God has so much more? See, it's, it's strange that God would close the chapter on Moses and begin the next one like this. You just told the most epic story through this guy's life. Moses is gone. And now we're picking up with Joshua. Like, if you're God, you're like, let's, let's dial it back a little bit. That was a lot. <laughs> let's, let's pull back. God's like, we're not pulling back at all. We're, we're upping what we're doing. And please, do not misconstrue what's being said and what I'm about to say. I am not Moses or Joshua. We are the scared Israelites. Jesus is the better Moses. Jesus is the better Joshua. Jesus is the one who our focus is on. But eight years in, it's no longer God, would you bring revival to Auburn? He's answered that prayer. Like statistically, he has answered that prayer. And I believe he will continue to. But now, what has God called us to, ACC? This might sound as dumb as what I said eight years ago, but I just, I have to say it, or my conscience will have guilt on me. I believe God has called us to be a conduit of reformation and revival for the church in the United States of America. It is no secret that the last few years, the church is withering, staggering, licking her wounds, and kind of crawling back to her corner. Numbers are down, but not just numbers, morale is down in the most traditional churches and the most contemporary churches. In, in the oldest ones and the newest ones, in the coolest ones and the most committed to, I was going to say committed to doctrine, like it's the opposite of cool. Doctrine is cool. We made cool relevance for a little while, but that's another sermon for another day. The church is staggering almost everywhere, but not here. And I don't say that as a propping up of what we're doing. I say this as a humble challenge to our church family. Are you paying attention yet? God's doing a new thing. 
There have been countless leaders removed from their post in the last couple of years. There are churches that were in the millions who have been decimated by scandal. And now here we are, from our little city in the Bible Belt in a college town, with an opportunity, I believe, to set the tone for how the church moves forward. And the moving forward is not a cool contemporary show that you can invite your lost friends to. And the moving forward is not the Southern Baptist or traditional bang your Bible and scare people out of hell. The moving forward is, can you put those three points back on the screen? Put those three points back up there. Is this. What have we done for eight years? Proclaim the word, meditate on the word, obey the word. Our job is not to create a platform or a conference so that the world would notice that Auburn Community Church is a thing. Our job is to be a faith family right now of thousands of people who are so deeply committed to doing these three things. And we actually believe that we could be a part of a change that is so much bigger than us, that's so not about us. So I actually believe, ACC, there is ground to be taken in and through our church. And that ground is taken when every single one of us takes the time to look at what God says instead of what we see. And maybe, I don't know, eight years from now, decades from now, there will be a generation that rises up in light of what is built here that doesn't settle for half-hearted, lukewarm Christianity or doesn't settle for distracted Christianity but unadulterated worship for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let's take that ground. Let's be that church. Let's believe it could happen. You can get your communion elements out right now. Communion is how we celebrate at the end of all of our sermons the body and the blood of Jesus. If you're not a believer in Jesus, you can just sit out this moment. But this is when we remember his sacrifice and I wanna invite you into this moment. The cracker symbolizes the body, the juice symbolizes the blood. We believe that through Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross, if you didn't get one, just raise your hand. Our team will bring you one at all of our locations. We believe that through Jesus' sacrifice, we can have everlasting life in a relationship with God. If you don't know that love, you can step into it today. We take a moment to take communion. Husbands, pray over your wives. Band, y'all can go ahead and come up here. Right before we finish in worship, and this is to set our minds back on where our strength and our courage comes from. If you don't know Jesus today, take this time, think about it, and maybe you'll make the best decision in your life by surrendering everything to him. Let's take communion together and then we'll sing in just a